so in Slack, we'll be asking questions. And we're starting a new Bible, a new Bible book today. We're starting in the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is extensive. There's a ton going on in the Gospel of John. And so with the Gospel of John, we can't go through everything. So I was studying the Gospel um, a couple of months ago and started seeing that there is something that we can go through, and that is going to be a, um, an experience of the signs that Jesus gave. And that's what we're going to go through. We're going to take four weeks right now. Then we're going to hit into our Christmas season. Then we're going to take four weeks in the new year. There are seven signs. And the eighth one is Jesus' uh, resurrection from the dead. And so we will go four and four. And we'll finish this in the new year. We'll start it today, though. And I'm super blessed to be talking about it. But now we're going into signs. I am going to start us off right away with a scripture or with a Slack question. And I want your opinion. And it's just an opinion question, so there's no pressure. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, well, maybe there are some right answers. Um, why does Jesus do miracles? Why does Jesus? do miracles? And I think that that's a really uh, unique question. It's an interesting question because, you know, we just, even just culturally, if anybody knows something about Jesus, then he was a good teacher who did a lot of miracles. And that's kind of where people start. Okay, he's a good teacher that did a lot of miracles. Lovely. Why? Why did Jesus do miracles? My favorite New Testament scripture is John 1. I love the way the author weaves this macro story of all of Israel into one chapter. I mean, it's lovely to, to just watch and take part in. What's often a, Christ, a Christmas text talks about the incarnation of God in a human form. And he uses the language of Genesis. So John 1 starts with the same words that Genesis 1 starts with, and John did that on purpose. He wanted to be like, this is a new beginning, a new start where God is stepping into the world, a new, a whole new way that we're going to experience this God. The fact, that fact itself could take the entire sermon series. John 1 is amazing, but that's, that's where I have to stop myself today. Um, John's telling this story the way that nobody else is telling it. We need to know this about the book of John. The book of John is written in a way that the other three gospels are not written. They're not written in at all the same way. The order of John's stories are totally different than the first three gospels. The focus of the stories are different than the first three gospels. And we need to know this because if you don't know that John is telling John is telling you who Jesus is. He's not giving a narrative history in chronological order. He wants you to know who Jesus is. And so that's why it's different. And sometimes when, when in the internet world or in your own experience, you've had people say, oh, I can't believe in the Bible because it contradicts itself. And then they pull out, you know, something in in Mark, and then they pull out something in John, and they say, look, what order did it happen? This is contradictory, therefore it's not true. No, John wasn't trying to do that. 
He was trying to tell a story about who Jesus was, not the order of what Jesus did. Okay, I made that point. Good. So, John does this amazing thing, and he uses seven signs. So, why does Jesus do miracles? A couple of answers are coming in on Slack. Uh, someone says that it, it is to reveal himself in a way that strengthens our view of him and establishes his power and glory. Awesome. Someone else says, for both the present and the future. So, both the people at the time would know that he is God and to teach them both that the time, uh, at that time, the important lessons and teaches us now 2,000 years later. So, Jesus does miracles to reveal who he is, to teach us, to, to someone else says, to show us his love for us. And, uh, and the last one I'll read is, primarily at the time to prove his divinity and ushering in his kingdom. So let's go to the first sign that Jesus does. John 2, 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out... The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there are six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now, draw some out, take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and then when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. Wonderful. So lots more answers have come in on Slack. You know, um, miracles are a way for, for God to reveal his nature. Um, if Jesus didn't perform miracles and made the claim that he was God, he would have been perceived as crazy. And then someone else said, as a sign of what's to come. What do you think is so special about the sign that happens in this story? What's so special about this sign? What, what, what's, yeah, just let me know in, in Slack. What, what is, uh, what's so special in, in, about the sign? Someone just wrote, awesome, I love it. Mary's unspoken word, words, I'm still your mother. <laughs> So good, right? This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And he manifested his glory. And his disciples believed him. John's just taken the, the first chapter to assert that Jesus is God. Here on earth to fulfill the promises of God given to Israel for all the centuries past. 
John set up his narrative, as I was alluding to earlier, John set up his narrative totally different than the other gospel writers. John doesn't even mention Christmas. He's like, meh, nativity, who cares? It's being said. We don't need to say that. He, He doesn't even mention Christmas. He just says God showed up in a person, and that's Jesus. So for that to be proven true, Jesus does what God does to show that he's the Messiah. So John has asserted Jesus is the Messiah, and then he is now going to show us through seven signs that Jesus does exactly what God does. John informs us of the conclusion we're going to come to immediately by saying, at the first sign, the disciples believed him. How many signs of God's actions will it take for you to believe that Jesus is God? The miracle likely takes place during the Feast of of Purim. And this can give some cultural light into the topic, especially since alcohol is involved in this story. Uh, Today, here in Canada, we... Canadians come from a Puritan tradition because of the way that immigration from Europe happened. We have a Puritan tradition. And so we tend to have a uh, negative view of wine and alcohol here, except for for the reason of getting drunk and escaping things. So as a culture, we've tended to demonize beer and wine. And so now, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, well, oh, should we drink as Christians or not? Um, the Bible seems pretty clear on this one. Just as a side note, Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk on wine. Okay, cool. Um, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a line for you, don't get drunk. Um, but in John 2, we have a story about running out of wine. And, uh, and so this one is interesting. I'm interested to hear what you think is special about this sign. Um... Someone says this sign is special because it was a, it's non-alcoholic wine. What? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The person's having fun. Um, Jesus didn't feel like it was his time yet, but his love for his mother and friends was so strong, he chose to save the day and be there for them when they needed him. That's interesting. Interesting piece of significance there, right? This sign is clearly supernatural. Some claim Jesus' miracles were hypnotic illusions. In this story, Jesus didn't interact directly with those who enjoyed it. Right, so this is purely uh, supernatural. And so that, that is another special piece that's come out of this. See, in Jewish culture, wine is a direct blessing of God. Anybody agree with that statement? Come on. Um, <laughs> I see that. Um, The wine is a direct blessing from God. In Psalm 104, 14 and 15, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock, the plants for men to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the hearts of a man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen a man's heart. North America has turned to cheap alcohol as a way to deal with hardship. But personally, like personally growing up in a at-risk environment in Ontario, I saw alcoholics and I saw the damage that alcohol does in our culture. And so I chose to never drink any alcoholic beverage in my life. Um, and so I, in this culture, I do encourage people to avoid drinking. But 
It's not the only way the alcohol is used. I mean, Paul tells Timothy, drink some, drink some wine for your stomach. You know, it's good for you. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So the, those Puritan roots aren't necessarily, oh, this is absolute, you have to do it. But the Bible is clear about how to handle alcohol. The thing is, this story is not actually about alcohol. This story is about the wine being the blessing of God. And if the wine is running out, there's a crisis. God's blessing is missing. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. The problem is not people can't get drunk to escape from their regular crappy life. The problem is much, much worse. The problem is God's blessings abandon us. Do you feel ever, have you ever felt, do you feel now that God's blessing has abandoned you? Have you been in that place in your life where God's blessing has abandoned you? I'd love to hear what, what, you, what you say on Slack that. Someone wrote in Slack, it makes you wonder how many other miracles Mary saw prior to this event. Well, John isn't giving us a chronology, so we actually don't know. Um, but Mary had a lot of faith to suggest that something was going to happen. So, do you feel like God's blessing has abandoned you? If speculations are correct, and this happens at the Feast of Purim, the problem is even more magnified. Purim is the feast that celebrates the Jewish defeat of the threat of Haman, the royal vizier to the Persian king. The whole story is in the book of Esther. You read the story of Esther, you see the way that God saves the Jews from instant extermination, and he, is, and, and he rescues you. And then, and then this happens at the end of the book, nine, Esther 9, 20 to 22, and Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of the king, both near and far, notice how I didn't try to pronounce that name, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and, the four, and also the 15th day of the same year, year by year. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, as the month that had been turned um, for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, for days of sending gifts and food to one another and gifts to the poor. And by Jesus' time, culturally, men and women were encouraged to drink wine to show their joy. And so we have this sense of, like, celebration, and this whole thing is supposed to be happening in the context of celebration. And so the crisis is there's no wine. God's relief is not in sight. There's a lack of God's blessing, and we're losing our hope. One theologian, N.T. Wright, suggests that it should also be understood as a symbolic level as well. The wine of the ways of the Jews was supposed to be a blessing for all the nations, but it wasn't working. The religion of the second temple wasn't as as poignant and as glory-filled as, as the first temple, and these, these things were, were damaging. And worse, the way of Torah was being neglected. 
Nothing left. God's law was not being God's law was not being taken care of. When Mary announced the crisis, she's stating the obvious. God's blessing has run out. We have nothing to give. And she's experiencing the shame of it. Do you ever feel like God's blessing has abandoned you? So, someone wrote, we're all out of wine. Um, someone said, I've been there. I've been there. Uh, there have been times that I've wrestled with the Lord. I've felt far away, abandoned, lost, ignored. And the two times I've been there have ended with God answering my prayers and guiding my life in ways that I did not think of. And he increased my trust in him. Someone said, I thought because he didn't save my mom's life when I prayed to him that he had abandoned me. It took me a long time to see that that was not the truth of it. The crisis. God's blessing, where did it go? See, Jesus' response is a sign of his identity. Notice Jesus' first response. Not the, what do I have to do with you, mother? The, the response where he says, my hour has not yet come. In the Gospel of John, as we keep on reading, we see, my hour's not yet come. The hour. He's always talking about his ultimate death and his resurrection. His hour has not yet come. He's like, no, 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 I, I'm not here to fix the blessing. I'm not here to fix Israel yet. This is my role. He knows that his entire role is to be the person, the, the second Adam. He is supposed to be the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to be. He knows that's his role, and he's like, he knows that he can only do it through the cross. So he's like, oh, my hour's not here yet. But let me, let me foreshadow it. I love that word, foreshadow. It's in our mission. Let me, let me give you a taste of it right now. Let me show you just a glimpse of it. Therefore, he's saying, okay, I could do something. It could be said like this. So Mary turns around and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Why is that important? She's saying, be obedient to this man just like you would be obedient to the laws of God. She's making a parallel here. Do whatever he tells you to do is the same as saying, follow Torah. He's, she is imposing all of God's peace right here into the person of Jesus. Do what he says, because he is the fulfillment. John is writing on purpose, giving us a large picture of who Jesus is. Do what he says. By doing that, you will be being obedient to Torah. You will be following God completely. You will see the blessings of God flow. Someone wrote on, on Slack, I don't, I don't feel like his blessings have abandoned me. I think I've neglected to look for them. And someone else wrote in the same vein, if you're far from God, guess who moved? Interesting. So, do what he tells you to do. John is saying, this man is worth obeying. Here is where the blessings will come from. Do what he tells you to do. Did Mary do enough to solve the problem of no wine? Opinion question. Or should she have done more? Did Mary do enough? See, sometimes when we hit crisis, 
We want to solve the crisis. We want to fix it. We want to come with all of the smart answers and all of the stuff. You know, if I was there, I would have been delegating. You, go to the grocery store. You, hit up the LCBO. You, go check to see if, if the beer store might have something worthwhile. I would be delegating and fixing the problem. Did Mary do enough to solve the problem? All she said was do whatever he tells you. Jesus' second response after he says, my time hasn't come, he says, fill the jars with water. We know that what happens, because we already read the story, but these jars are thought to be the ceremonial washing jars for the guests. That's what this text says. Why are they not full? Is it a further sign of the degradation of the ways of God in Israel, which would point to why the blessing isn't flowing? Is it because the water had been used up for purification and it needed to be refilled? Why are they empty? Jesus foreshadows his mission and says the blessing needs to start to flow a little bit. The blessing of who I am needs to start to show a little bit so that you can know me. So that you can believe. Israel's been under occupation for over 400 years. It's a sign of disobedience. There's a no wine at a feast. There's no blessing from God. To them, that's a sign of disobedience. The new temple doesn't have the same glory. Sign of disobedience. Jesus provides wine from water. A sign of restoration. A sign of blessing. A sign of hope. Jesus' presence is a sign of God's forgiveness for the disobedience to Torah. Washing basins should be filled. It's purification. It's a sign of being made Things being made right. The wine is restored. It's a sign of the blessing of God starting to flow in the land again. Jesus is here to make all things right again. To fulfill the promises of God. To allow for God's presence and blessing to flow. Someone says, uh, someone says yes, I think, I think that she did enough. I think Mary did enough. Someone else says, I think that Mary did more than most of us would have. Wow. Her faith in Jesus was enough. Mary went to the source of life. There's no more that needed to be done. So the outcome is new wine. You've kept the good wine until now. The struggle to regain God's approval and blessings now over. But not because Mary acted like me and went and delegated and fixed it. Mary didn't act like me. The, 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 the struggle to regain God's approval and blessings over because Jesus showed up. We might be attempting to make blessings for ourselves, to provide for our own wine. And here's where I want to challenge us today. The challenge is for us to become like Mary. Mary didn't do anything except for this. Mary told people, do what Jesus tells you to do. 
That was her role in the entire miracle. She's telling people, do what Jesus says. Do what Jesus says. How simple. How simple. The, the blessing of God flows as Mary tells people, go do what Jesus says. It's that easy. Mary didn't have to fix things. Mary didn't have to get involved. Jesus made a way. Jesus can and will provide the much-needed blessing and approval of God in your life and in other people's lives. Jesus can and will provide that blessing, the approval of God in your life and in other people's lives. He has made a way. Too often we make our Christianity about what do I need to do to make this blessing of God flow? And Mary said, I'm in crisis and the situation is rough. Just tell people to do what Jesus says. You need to be Mary. Mary couldn't fix the crisis in front of her. Guys, there are, there are people going through struggles in our church right now, and I know of a whole bunch of them, that, you know, we can't just fix them. But we can be Mary. Do what Jesus told you to do. Get people to do what Jesus says. Focus on what Jesus is saying. Mary didn't try to supply the wine. Mary wasn't enough for the situation. But Jesus is enough. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee. He manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Jesus foreshadows his coming kingdom with the sign of God's blessing. Someone wrote, so often I feel the need to keep working on the problem, even if it's not within my control. Mary says, do what Jesus says. She didn't make it happen or know for sure the outcome of telling him to solve it. I had to rest on that for a minute. Mary didn't know the outcome. She had no idea what Jesus was going to say. She had no clue how God was going to answer her question. She was just sure that God could do more than he could, or than she could. Right? So, this sign points to Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus can do what God does. Restore blessing. Make the wine flow. Jesus can do what God does. And so... Will you believe who he is? Will you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and Lord? Will you participate and do what Jesus tells you to do? Will you take your heart? Will you say, yes, I believe the sign? Just like the disciples, they believe the sign. Will you believe the sign? And say, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I will do what he tells me to do. John 14, 1 says, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Lord Jesus, I pray that as you 
open your word to us and we look at the signs of Jesus. God, I pray that our faith would be built up, that we would genuinely believe that you are the Messiah and in response we would do what you tell us to do. That we know that you are the way of life. We know that you are the way of truth. We know that you are a good God that will and has the power to allow blessings to flow. And so, Jesus, we look to you and we say, we need you. We need you more than we need our own skills of delegating, our own skills of management, our own skills of problem solving. We need you. And so, Jesus, for every person who has already committed their heart to Jesus, I pray that, that you would stir in us ways that we need to be listening to what you're telling us to do. And for those of us who are just on the brink right now deciding, will I put my faith in Jesus? God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would stir it up within them, that they would have faith to believe that Jesus, you are the Son of God, that you are the Messiah, that you have come to save the world from the evil that it is drowning in, and that you will receive all glory. And Jesus, I pray that these people would turn their hearts to you and say, yes, Jesus, I am willing to put my life-altering faith in you today. I pray for a blessing on the congregation. Pray that your presence would go with them and that they would, that they would observe the places that you are making blessings flow. In Jesus' name, amen.